Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here. My name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at church and very thankful that you're here. And uh, I can say this to Brandon, with all due respect to his voice, she's my favorite singer. Amen. Pray for me. I'm going to ask her out on a date. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Great job, baby. Love you. Okay. So Revelation 21 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be reading verses 6 through 21. But you know Jesus is coming soon when the Iowa Hawkeyes make the Big Ten Championship game. You know that the Lord is coming. So let's just go ahead and put that up. Yes, let us rejoice and give thanks for all of the wonderful things that he has done. Okay, all right, a little levity, but here's the thing. Like all the pastors at church... We have an abnormal amount of Michigan fans in, as, in our pastor group. So, the, so Chad and John are big Michigan people. Everybody else is an Iowa fan. We don't have an Iowa State elder yet, so pray about that. We're looking for one. And, and Lawrence Michelson doesn't even know what sports is. Amen? So we are just thankful. And uh, the, Jesus must be coming back because this is the matchup. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's thank God for levity, and then let's also read God's word together and ask God to do a great thing in our hearts this morning. Starting in verse 6 of Revelation 22. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. I, John, am the one who heard and I heard these things. And when I heard them, I, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do what's right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may be, have the right to have the tree of life. And then they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. Lord, we are blessed to read the word. We are blessed to think about great things concerning your son, Jesus. And truly, Lord, your word is true. Jesus is coming soon. And Lord, may we live our lives in light of that truth. Lord, we're all messed up. We're sinning. We're struggling. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of things in life we don't understand. So Lord, we're not coming to you as a perfect people. We're not coming to you as a, as a group of church people that are just all together. Lord, we are broken. And Lord, there's something inside of our hearts that doesn't really value you the way that you are worth. So Lord, we repent of that. We ask for forgiveness. And Jesus, we pray that you would do a work through the power of the Holy Spirit as we read and study your word that would cause our hearts to come alive and flame into fire this passion for your glory. Jesus, you are coming soon. Help us to see you this morning. Do a great work and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we conclude our sermon series, The Return of Christ in the life to come. It has been a blast to study Revelation with you guys. I have loved it. I have, I didn't think I would say I, would, I loved it. At the end, at the beginning of this series, I was with fear and intrepidation, wondering how is this going to go? I remember telling the elders, I'm a little nervous about end times because end times are intimidating and some of the grandiose themes and scenes in heaven, I mean, it's just too much and I just want to wimp out and not preach on Revelation. Thank God for our elders. Amen? Thank God. They said, no, Josh, calm yourself. You can do this. At the very least, it'll be entertaining to watch you try to preach Revelation. But at the most, God will work in great ways. And I have been so humbled to learn what I have learned this fall. I think I started with the goal of having all of you feel that you have some general sense of the end times. And if you can summarize it in just two words, it's Jesus wins, right? Like, that's it. Like, if you, if you boil it all down, this is where we're going. It's revelation. It's, uh, it's Christ's return and Jesus wins at the end. And it's been a humbling thing. And I think we can confidently say that we'll be doing more preaching and more teaching on this because as you might or might not know, a preacher has like 100% of the stuff he's learning in his brain. I share about 5% with all of you guys. So I think... There's a lot that we've learned in process. We'll make that stuff available as we go on. I'm not nearly as scared to tackle eschatology. God is good, all right? God is good. But as we come into this very last passage, we read the very last passage of the Bible. Think about that. Thus ends the Bible, right? At the end of this text. And the big idea this morning in this text is that Jesus is coming soon. That's the big idea. Jesus is coming soon. 
And this is a guarantee from Jesus. He says it three times in the text. Now, have you thought about things that you've heard about that are coming soon with 100% certainty? You have thought through those things. There's things that are 100%, such as Christmas, right? Christmas. This scene in your home is a guarantee. This is a guarantee in retail stores by October 1st. Can I get an amen? I mean, you go to Walmart, Target, wherever you're going. Like, this is like, oh, it's October 1st. They have five aisles of Christmas-themed things. And, you know, for some of you, you need to believe in the gospel of Christmas, that you don't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Can I get a witness? Okay, hang on. I got a little, ooh. Mixed crowd, mixed crowd. My daughters are like, Dad, this is ridiculous. And they're listening to all the Christmas music. And I'm like, la, 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 la. You guys are all a bunch of pagans, pagans. But now, you know, Christmas is coming. It's a guarantee, 100%. It's coming your way, whether you're ready for it or not. How about the Amazon truck? That's 100% in this culture. (laughs) Right? Can I get an amen for this? Like, this is ridiculous. Amazon owns our lives. Even so, come Amazon truck. Come quickly. I mean, we live off of this truck and it's a rival, you know, because it's constantly dinging your phone all the time. Your order is confirmed. Your shipping is confirmed. And then they're dinging you when the delivery happens. And you know exactly when the delivery is there. They're taking a picture, right? And so you know right where it's at. You know where it's placed so you can get there before the crooks. Amen. They're all trying to steal your stuff. But it's 100% guarantee you're going to see these things all over the place and it's going to get to your house. All right, joking aside, Jesus says he is coming soon. You can take it to the bank more than Christmas, more than Amazon. You can take it to the bank that Jesus' return is 100% guaranteed. He said so three times. In verse 7, he said it, Behold, I am coming soon. And then in verse 12, he says, behold, I'm coming soon. And then in verse 20, he repeats it a third time. He who testifies to these things says, amen, or surely, and that's amen in the Greek, which means take it to the bank. I am coming soon. And the word for I am coming there, the phrase there means before long. Before long, I'm coming soon. So many of us want a timestamp with the return of Jesus. Like what day, what hour, I want to be ready. And Jesus, that's not what he gives us here. He gives us a stance of readiness. He's ready to return, which means that he's standing in heaven, ready to come back. So he's just ready. He's waiting. What's he waiting for? According to 1 Peter, he's waiting until every sinner repents of their sins. That is, it called to salvation. Then he's coming. So he's just like this. He's looking down. That's kind of the sense of the word here. And he's saying, Father, when, when can I go? Now? Now? Look at them. They're making a wreck of the world. Can I go now? And he's waiting with a sense of readiness. Jesus is coming soon. But let's be honest. There's a variety of reactions to the statement, I am coming soon. Some people hear that Jesus is coming soon and they don't believe. There's a lot of unbelief in our culture to say Jesus is coming soon. He's been saying that for 2,000 years. What's the problem? 
Christian. Like it's, they get a little sarcastic, a little punchy about it regarding Jesus' coming back. Remember the same spirit was in the flood generation, right before Noah built the ark. A lot of people were making fun of Noah. What's with the big wooden box, bro? And the son-in-laws, they're helping him build it. And he's just got his family. Everybody else thinks it's crazy. And that was a very sarcastic and hard generation. And so it will be before the second coming of Christ. Peter said it in his own generation. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, Peter said in his own generation, people were saying, where is the sign of his coming? You guys keep talking about it. That's early generation Christianity. And so even now we look around our culture and we say, Jesus is coming soon. And the unbelieving culture around us says, that's ridiculous. I don't believe in that. Okay, the second response is to believe. Some people do believe that Jesus is coming soon and you know them when you meet them. Can I get a Christian witness? You know, when you meet a Christian, you're like, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I want out, you know? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm coming. And all the Christians, you know when you run into one because they're like, yes, I am ready. I am ready to be done with the pain. I'm ready to be done with the sin. I'm ready to be done with the craziness of this world. And some people believe, praise God. And there's a third response to Jesus when he says, I'm coming soon. And this might be the majority percentage, but many are lukewarm about Jesus's return. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And people are like, ah, okay. You know, a lot of people say, sounds good, I guess. You know, like, I guess Jesus is coming soon. I guess all those Christians say so. Sure, pastor, if you say so, I, I suppose I'll be in, right? I don't want to go to hell. If there is a hell, I don't want to go. And I will just believe this thing. And so a lot of people believe that. It's kind of lukewarm. Kind of, yeah, if I, if I feels good or if it's comfortable, I'll do it. Despite the variety of reactions when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, the reality this morning is that Jesus truly is coming soon. His word is true. We as Christians believe it and we feel that truth deep inside our bones. Here's the reality. Life is flying by. Can I get a getting older? Amen. Flying. I mean, it's flying, flying by. And every day is precious. Therefore, when Jesus says things like, I'm returning, I'm coming back soon, we would be doing really well to understand the implications of that statement. So what are the implications? We're going to answer these two questions this morning before we go to communion. What are the implications of Jesus' promised return? So what are the implications for us, applications? And then um, what is Jesus calling his people to do in light of his coming? So what are we supposed to do? All right, there's three implications I think Jesus lays out for us in this passage as he closes out the Bible. Implication number one is obedience. Okay, obedience. Jesus is calling believers to obey. You can look with me in verse 7, and it says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed or happy is the person who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus says he's coming, and happy are the obedient ones. Happy are the ones who are obeying when he comes back. The word keep there in the Greek, it means to hold fast or to guard. 
So believers are to hold fast or to guard the book of Revelation. Okay, hold fast, what does that mean? It means what you did to Thanksgiving dessert. Can I get an amen? Hold fast. You're not getting my pumpkin pie. Lay off my whipped cream. Get away from that. That's mine, right? Hold fast. That's what we're called to do. Believers are called to hold fast or guard the book of Revelation, and I would add the scriptures, in light of Jesus' second coming. Jesus said, if you love me, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you truly love Jesus, you'll obey Jesus, right? And so Jesus' return is coming soon. And since it's coming soon, we as believers, by implication, we are to obey his word. We're to be like the obedient virgins in Matthew 25 who had their lamps ready for the groom's arrival, right? In fact, you can read Matthew 25 all the way through. And it's just a series of warnings and admonitions and stories from Jesus to be ready to obey because you don't know when the groom's coming back. So be obedient until he gets back. So if you really believe that Jesus is coming back soon, you're going to be obedient. Well, how, how do I know that? How, am I just taking a pastoral shot in the dark? Am I just saying things? No, here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying in defense of that. Jesus is the only one who infinitely loves and he's the only one who infinitely has power. To make us obey. Does that make sense? Like, like we need love and we need power if we're going to obey someone in our lives. If you obey your boss because they have power over you, well, if they don't love you, it's just you're doing it for a paycheck, right? Because they have power. If you love someone, you will be encouraged to obey that person because you know the love that they have for you. And when you combine those two things together, love and power... That's what you have in Jesus. Jesus infinitely loves us and he infinitely has power over us through the cross and resurrection. At the cross, Jesus displayed the love of God for you and me as sinners, right? As we look at the cross, we see love. We see the God-man suffering, bleeding on our behalf, taking the wrath of God on himself, and that is love. If you wonder this morning if you are loved which is some of you, understand that you need to look at the cross to see the love of God. Amen? You want to know if you're loved? Look at the cross. Jesus infinitely loves you, and he has the power to resurrect three days later. He has the power over sin, death, and the grave. Therefore, Jesus has power and love in infinite amounts, and that's what leads us to obey because our loving, infinitely powerful Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. Therefore, we best be obeying during that time. So we're ready. Um, do you remember that old song, Trust and Obey? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Now, if you skip down to verse 18 and 19, John lays out a warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city. This is big. The other part of obedience for Christians is that you stay with the scriptures. 
All right, you stay with the book. That's what John is saying. Don't add to this book. Don't take away from this book. Just take it as it is. Take it as it's written. All right, so many Christians, we want to add and subtract, add and subtract all the time. Do we not? We want to take away the hard verses out of the Bible. We want to keep the easy ones. Can I get an amen? That's what we want to do. It's not good. Jesus says you will be in a dangerous spot if you seek to add anything to this prophecy or if you try to take away anything from this prophecy. Trust me, the easiest life that you can live on this earth is just to add and take away. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, he would clip passages out of the Bible that he didn't agree with. <laughs> like, you know, that's dangerous, Thomas. I know you're a smart guy, but you would, he would clip away all the supernatural stuff that he couldn't believe and it didn't make sense in his rational mind. And he would clip entire sections of the Bible out of the Bible. I don't want to be Thomas Jefferson standing before God. Amen? Like, Thomas, can we have a chat? Uh, no, actually, I don't know what I was doing, you know? Christian, the win of this cultural day that we live in is going to be for Christians to just stand with what is written. We don't need to apologize for our God. We don't need to try to be a lawyer to defend our God. God is really good at defending God. What we need to do is stand with his word and say, God, help me obey and help me be obedient as the coming of Jesus nears. Help me to be an obedient Christian. Psalm 119.10 says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. So that's implication number one, is obedience. How are you doing with obedience to the scriptures? If you're a normal Christian, you're like, well... There's been some hits. There's been some misses this week, Pastor. I don't want to tell you about everything I did this week, but, you know, I did okay. Look, as we see Jesus is coming near, we need to obey. How, how much? As much as you possibly can, being led by the Spirit of God to please God with your life. So we need to be obedient. How are you doing being obedient as you see his return coming? That is implication number one. Believers must be obedient until he returns. Implication number two is salvation. Jesus is calling sinners to get saved. Verses 10 through 17. Let's start with verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book for time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do what's right, and the holy still be holy. So let's break that down. The angel is telling John, don't seal up the words of the prophecy. Why is he telling John that? Don't seal up that prophecy. Because time is short. That's why the angel is telling John that. Don't unroll it. Don't, don't seal it up. Unroll it and preach the message, John. This message of Revelation needs to get out to people. It needs to be shared. It needs to be preached. It needs to be spread. Don't seal it up. But what about the evil thing? Let the evil still be evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous still be righteous. Like, what's that about? Here's the reality. John is continuing to press in that there's not a lot of time to respond. Life is short. You don't have a ton of time. If you're an evil and filthy person, you don't have a lot of time to respond. This is a timing of the essence thing. 
Jesus is coming soon. If you're a sinner lost and without Jesus, you need to get saved like now. Why risk eternity for, for what you think is something that you have time for? Satan whispers into the ears of every sinner, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You've got time. The reality of what John is saying is you don't have time. Evil person, filthy person, just understand like life is short. It's going to be quick. You don't have a lot of time. Respond to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, the worst thing you could tell yourself is that you have a lot of time ahead. You don't even know if you have your trip home. You don't know if you have tomorrow. None of us know when our life is going to end. We don't know. So therefore, don't waste the opportunity. Skip down with, to, with me to verse 14. Verse 14 said, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter by the city gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, blessed are the ones who have been saved and washed by the blood of Christ. According to Jesus, the only people getting into heaven are those who have been washed by the blood. Washed by the blood of Jesus. Washed by blood. Think about how counterintuitive that sounds. When you want your clothes to be clean, y'all go to your laundry rooms and you reach for Tide. Can I get an amen? Or if you're us, you reach for Sam's Club brand or whatever. Whatever your laundry detergent is, I mean, you reach for the detergent because that's what's going to get your clothes white. And what John is saying is if you want your soul to be cleaned, you need to wash not in the detergent of Tide. You need to wash in the detergent of the blood of Jesus Christ. Washing in the blood cleanses our souls and cleans us up. This is amazing. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Some of you know this verse by heart. I shared this with a guy just the other day. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what? With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So the reality of how you get clean is you come to the blood. You come to Jesus and you say, I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth and I am saved by God's grace. Consider Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It's the blood of Christ offered for us when we believe in it. It purifies our consciences. How many of you are struggling with a guilty conscience? Many of you are struggling with things that you did do or you didn't do. Things that, that ultimately you sinned, you messed up. 
And ultimately what Jesus' blood does, when you believe in that blood, it purifies your conscience, which is what salvation is in all of its beauty. So if you're a sinner, you have to ask yourself, am I washed in the blood? Because Jesus says, blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood. You remember that old hymn? It says, are you washed in the blood in the soul? Cleansing blood of the lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are they washed in the blood? What Jesus' blood does is it gives us a clean record. Forgiveness of sins. A guaranteed spot in heaven and the blessings of forgiveness. So how free is this offer anyway? Well, look with me in verse 17. It says, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life take it without price. There are many who are hearing of salvation and and what the message of salvation is from Jesus is the one who is thirsty, come and drink. God offers salvation and it is so gracious. It is so free. It is so deep. It is just sinner. If you desire salvation, if you want forgiveness, come and drink. Just come and drink. Come and drink. Isaiah 55, 1 in the Old Testament, it says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Everybody who's thirsty, come to the waters. John 7, 37. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And John 8, 32 says, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus calls sinners to repent of their sins by drinking in this gracious offer of salvation. So, If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the invitation is open and free and full of grace that you can't even begin to understand. Jesus died and rose again and he now offers to you with his impending return coming. He says to every sinner, just come and drink. Just come and drink, man. You're thirsty, come and drink. How much does it cost me? It cost you nothing. It cost me, Jesus, everything. Come and drink of this water. Come and drink of Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. And if you're a Christian, this is not a ho-hum reality. This is the beautiful reality of what we offer to a sinful world. So many times professing Christians, you've forgotten how great it is to be saved. You forgot how great it is to know that all of it is of grace. Everything I have is because Jesus is amazing grace in my life. And we as Christians, we are called to offer this salvation. As we see the return of Christ coming near, we are to offer a drink to thirsty unbelievers. And you, you have unbelievers in your life all the time who are like, I can't stand this world. I hate what's going on. I don't like my life. This is falling apart. And we have the answer. Come and drink of Jesus. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. So the call for salvation is the call of the second implication of this text. Jesus calls sinners everywhere to come and experience salvation. The third implication is celebration. Jesus is calling believers to rejoice. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit says, 
Come, Lord Jesus. That's what verse 7 is saying. At this point in the book of Revelation, why is the Holy Spirit telling Jesus, Hey, come, come, Lord, come down. Why is the Holy Spirit, who is God, telling Jesus, please come? Because at this point in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit has been so abused by sinful man. Blasphemed, minimized, mistreated, and he's eager for the return of Christ. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is looking around at a sin-cursed world and saying, I don't know if there's anything more I can do. I'm being pushed down and being suppressed and being abused. Like, Jesus, just come and set up your kingdom, please. The Holy Spirit is rejoicing in the arrival of Jesus. And the bride, the church, also says come. So if the Holy Spirit's fired up about something, the return of Christ, what should the church's attitude be like? Amen? We should be like, Lord, come. We're with the Holy Spirit here on this one. Come on down. We want you to come now. So we should be fired up and anticipating and rejoicing in the, 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 the reality of the second coming of Christ. And then in verse 20, he who testifies, this is Jesus, he says, surely I am coming soon. And the response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen is to say, I agree or we agree. When you say amen, you say, I agree with what you just said right there. Amen. Amen to that. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, all the church rises up and we say, amen, Lord. Yes, come, please come now. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, which means our Lord comes or come our Lord. This phrase is carried with excitement and anticipation because believers are called to rejoice in the prospect of Christ's second coming. Consider what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is going to be a crown, there's going to be a reward, there's going to be an amazing reality of those who love the appearing of Jesus. When they get to finally see Jesus, there will be a crown of righteousness given. And every Christian, you should want to rejoice, you should want to worship, and you should want to lift up Jesus and say, yes, Lord, please. And then the crown, the reward of wanting that. To illustrate this, one of, one of the loudest noises, think about some of the loudest noises of praise or anticipation that you've seen in your life. All right, think about like military returns in airports. You guys have all seen those videos or you, maybe you've been there like face-to-face with somebody when a military personnel returns and they come in through the airport doors and what happens to the wife, right? The wife is just like, or the husband, depends on if you have a women soldier or a man soldier, right? They just fall apart. They're not like, what's up? Good to see you. Glad you're home, you know? Can you, can you help with the kids? Like now. Like now. We need, we need dishes help now. Like that would be insane, right? No, like, like you see people on their knees. You see people hugging. You see people burying their face in 
weeping tears of joy with the reunited family. You've seen this in medical recoveries, in hospitals. You see this a lot when someone recovers from a very incredibly dangerous disease or cancer or something like that, and they get to ring a bell on their way out or they get to do something, and you see the families reunite. You get to see ICU uh, people come out of ICU. They, all of a sudden, there's this rejoicing that there was healing or rescuing or something like that. One of the loudest noises I've ever heard was last January. Last January, we welcomed our fifth daughter, Simeon, to the earth. And we got to take, oh, she's grown so much. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so Simeon was different than all the other babies because we were happy with the other kids, you know. But they didn't have quite the same welcome wagon that we had with Simeon. With Simeon, all four of our other girls were like, can't wait to meet her, can't wait to meet her, you know, and they're, they're rubbing tummies, and they're doing all these things, and they're so excited. We had the baby, and it's COVID, so nobody can come to the hospital, so the girls get to see her on video, and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to hold you and squeeze you, and I'm like, don't kill the baby, right? <laughs> we come home, we, we pull into the driveway. I'll never forget this, as long as I live. We push the garage door opener, the garage door opener comes up, the garage door goes up, and, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I have like 6,000 girls, so they're all sitting in the garage, and the moment, like, we get out, it is ear-piercing screaming and joy and, ah, Simeon! You know, I won't say which girl that was, because I've already... In, Embarrass them enough right now. But here's, here's the point. They anticipated and they rejoiced. How much more should the church anticipate the second coming of Jesus and rejoice when it happens? You guys, we're not talking about anybody. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are talking about the one who saved us from our sins. We are talking about the one who turned our lives around and is turning our lives around. We are talking about the one who is going to come and adopt us as brothers. We are talking about God the Father who's going to bring forth the full weight of adoption as sons. We are going to see the one and we are going to see every other single Christian who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And we are going to see this all happen together. And when we see Christ with every redeemed soul, every single boy and girl, every single adult, male and female, we are going to see Christ and that is worthy of our joy. That is worthy of our expression. That is worthy of our clapping. That is worthy of our excitement. That is worthy of our singing. It's worthy of our joyful expression of worship because when we see him, it's over. Man, I wish I were excited about this. So Jesus is calling and we're saying, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is inside you. It's in your bones. It's in your soul. You can't wait to see Jesus. So in the midst of this, Jesus is calling believers to rejoice. Just rejoice in what's going to come. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So what's the big idea? Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. What are the implications? Obedience, salvation, and rejoicing. Which one of those most connects with you this morning? Which one of those most touches your heart this morning? Obedience, salvation, or rejoicing? Where do you find yourself in that mix? As we go to communion, we're going to go back and get the elements and celebrate the Lord's table together. We are remembering Jesus, what he did, his death on the cross, his resurrection. We're celebrating that. This is a time to reflect. This is a time to pray. This is a time to confess. This is a time to get things right. This is time to get saved. So I'm going to pray and then we're going straight into communion time. And this is your time. To take whatever is on your heart, to take it to Jesus. I've always said communion is a good time to get saved. If you're not saved, a good time to get saved. If you do know Christ, what, a, what an awesome opportunity we have. Let's pray and we'll take the elements together. Father, thank you for your grace. Your word is so good. Jesus, you're coming soon. May you find us obedient. May you find us believing and may you find us rejoicing. Help us to remember the elements of communion in an appropriate way. If there's sin in our lives, help us to get it right. Do a great work inside of us as we celebrate the Lord's table in Jesus' name. Amen.